0: You are listening to Locally Sourced Science, your connection to the scientific discoveries happening in the Finger Lakes community.
1: I'm Fred Balfour and you're listening to Locally Sourced Science. In nearly every episode of our show, we highlight the research of local scientists. One might wonder how they became researchers. Is it possible at first they made observations about something in the natural world that fascinated them? Maybe they had a teacher, camp counselor, mentor, or friend who encouraged them to learn more. In today's show, you'll hear about different programs in which mentors help students learn more about science. First, you'll hear Esther Rakuzin's interview of Dr. Kelly Liu, a professor in the Department of Molecular Biology and Genetics at Cornell University. She is one of the organizers of a summer research experience for undergraduates, also known as the REU program, in her department. During the interview, Dr. Liu describes how the REU program introduces students to the experience of developing, working on, and presenting a research project. For our second interview, Candace Limper speaks with Cornell graduate student Lizette Pajero. She is a fellow in the Alfred P. Sloan Minority Scholarship graduate program. Pajero talks about the features of the Sloan graduate program, her research interests, and her goals for the future. In the last segment of today's show, we hear about how some local K-12 students are learning about STEAM fields, that is, science, technology, engineering, art, and math fields. These students are members of 4-H clubs in Tompkins County, and they are presenting their 4-H projects during this week's annual 4-H fair. Brenda Carpenter, Cornell Cooperative Extension, Tompkins 4-H coordinator talks about how the 4-H participants have been displaying creativity, ingenuity, and persistence to move ahead with the fair amidst the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: I'm Esther Rakusin for Locally Sourced Science. United States-based graduate programs in the sciences want to attract more applicants who are first-generation college students, people of color, or from indigenous backgrounds. In order to try to introduce these students to doctoral research programs, universities around the country have developed Summer Research Experience for Undergraduates, or REU, programs. To learn more about one REU program happening at Cornell, I spoke with Professor Kelly June Liu, one of the directors of the Molecular Biology and Genetics Summer Research Experience for Undergraduates. She directs the program with Professors Volker Vogt and Tim Huffaker. The program receives funding from the National Science Foundation, or NSF. To start off, I asked her how her department reaches out to the students that they hope will apply to their summer REU program.
2: Our faculty attend some of the conferences that are uh, primarily targeted to minority students. For example, one of them is the annual biomedical research conference for minority or EverCam um, conference. The other is the SACNES or Society for Advancement of Chicanos, Hispanics, and Native Americans in science. We also, um, so Volker in particular, work with Laura Southard at Cornell, um, work with the Leadership Alliance Program. So this is a program that had 30 uh, top universities in the country. Um, They have an annual conference. Again, uh, our faculty participate in those conferences and interact with undergraduate students who attend the conference. Once our program got funded by the NSF. The NSF BioREU has a website that basically lists all the summer RU programs. And that actually is uh, really the central point where um, most of the undergraduate students around the country will go visit and then and they can look at which program is more appropriate for them and they can apply.
0: I then asked Kelly Lu what the REU student's experience is like.
2: So the REU program is um, for basically 10 weeks of intensive research um, at Cornell in a, a particular lab. So once they're here, um, pretty much we expect them to, um, to be doing research for Time, but we also have various activities that are specifically organized to um, enrich the experience of the RU students during the summer.
0: One feature of the enrichment experience is a weekly lunch meeting. Here, Dr. Liu explains.
2: So there are two components in the weekly um, lunch meetings. During the first half of the meeting, we have our participating. Faculty mentors um, giving talks um, their research as well you know sort of not just specifically what they do in the lab, but also talk about the background um, that 's related to their research um, the 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 goal for these scientific talks is to expose our students to the broader area of cell signaling. So our REU program um, has a focus on molecular biology and genetics of cell signaling. And then the second half of the lunch meeting, we basically um, talk about um, how to apply to graduate school, how to prepare your applications, and we invite current Cornell students to have a panel with our RU our student talk about what life is like at Cornell or in graduate school.
0: Another component of the program consists of advising students how to write a research proposal and present their work.
2: So when they first come to campus, they will talk to their faculty mentors and develop a research plan. So they, they need to write that up and... Um, the three of us will critique and give them feedback, and then middle of the uh, summer they sort of um, give a presentation on a progress on their progress in the lab. This helps them to sort of um, organize their thoughts.
0: Then the RU students will present their work at the end of the program.
2: The whole summer culminates into. Uh, two presentations by our youth student during their last week in the uh, program. So we require each of the student to give um, oral presentation uh, and (laughs) a poster presentation. So for the uh, PowerPoint oral presentation, we team up with uh, the Office of Undergrad Biology. They run a summer uh, symposium for life sciences
0: Dr. Kelly Liu then emphasized the mentorship that occurs in the program.
2: Pretty much, it's a faculty-run program, and we work with the students directly. Um, In addition, each of the students gets multiple mentors, so they have a faculty mentor who is going to be working with them. Um, The student, you know, working in the faculty's lab. sort of they meet regularly, talk about their progress, and the faculty mentor gives them feedbacks, um, on their research progress and uh, various presentations.
0: Also, there are peer mentors.
2: Each of our students is paired with what we call a peer mentor. Um, These are graduate students that are currently at at Cornell. Most of the students, uh, I think they're part of an MBG diversity council. So they volunteer to uh, mentor these RU students. And these peer mentors are coming from a different lab, you know, not in the same lab as RU students are in. And they organize all kinds of Um, social activities.
0: I asked Dr. Liu whether the RU program keeps in touch with their participants after each program ends and how many students have gone on to apply to graduate school.
2: Yes, um, we actually stay in touch. Um, So because our program now is funded by the NSF, NSF requires that um, we track the students uh, for 10 years after they finish the program. So Volker, Tim, and I actually Um, write to our students um, on an annual basis or you know we try to do it once every six months um, to see how they're doing and where they are heading to and we also actually for many of these students we write recommendation letters, we read their um, graduate school application like personal statements, and um, look at their resume and so on. But then their are faculty mentors in particular also keeping in touch. And 60% of these students are in different PhD programs at various institutions. Um, mostly, almost all of them are top institutions, including uh, Stanford, Yale, Cornell, Penn, UPenn, and Hopkins, and so on. And there are a few pursuing MD, PhD, or uh, PharmD, um, or taking a gap year preparing to apply for either graduate school
0: or um, MD programs. I wondered if alumni of the MBG RU programs are becoming mentors themselves.
2: Yes, it's already happening um, here. So several of our former RU students are here at Cornell uh, in our Ph.D. program. They actually have served as either lab mentors or peer mentors to our RU students and we hope, you know, we, we are trying to get all the RU students stay connected so that um, the firmer ones will serve as mentors to new RU students or wherever they, they are in their new institution. Our hope is that by experiencing cutting edge research during the 10 weeks that they are here, they will find their love for research and pursue research. Um, in graduate school and down the road, mentor additional students, sort of have a rippling effect in society.
0: Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2020 Molecular Biology and Genetics RU program had to be canceled. Rising seniors who had been accepted to the program were unfortunately unable to come to campus to learn about research but Dr. Kelly Liu says that those students have been able to participate in an online leadership alliance program. For Locally Sourced Science, I'm Esther Rakusin.
1: You are listening to Locally Sourced Science. Do you have any local science news to share? Tweet us at FLXScienceRadio or send us an email at LocallySourcedScience.com at gmail.com. Also, check out our podcast at locallysourcedscience.org. At that site, you can subscribe to new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast apps. Now, here is Candace Limper's interview with graduate student Lizette Pajero. Hi
3: everybody, welcome to Locally Source Science. My name is Candace Limper, Oh, hi. Thank you for having me on. Um, my name is Lisette Pajero, and I'm a second-year student uh, in the BMCB program at Cornell, uh, and I'm currently working in the Alani lab. So I'm under the understanding that you have a fellowship. Yeah, so um, I'm fortunate enough to receive some funding from the Sloan Fellowship Program, which is a scholarship program that was established by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation to assist underrepresented minority students in achieving doctoral degrees right so um, this fellowship is really great it funds me for three years of my doctoral studies um, in addition to providing lots of opportunities to advance my career so it's a really nice community of people that have been really great resources for me both in sort of navigating graduate school and also understanding what opportunities I might have after I leave graduate school and uh, I've really enjoyed just getting to know everyone in the program and also uh, I've you know been given an access to uh, not only a community of people, but also uh, I was able to go to the Institute on Teaching and Mentoring, for example, uh, last October, which was the, I believe, the largest gathering of doctoral minority students in the country. Uh, And that was a really great opportunity to sort of understand the specific challenges minority students are under when we pursue doctoral degrees and also uh, how those challenges translate to future faculty and industry positions. That sounds great. Um, and it sounds like an awesome opportunity and um, an amazing fellowship. It, it sounds very competitive. Yeah, certainly. My understanding is that it is a reasonably competitive fellowship. The nice thing is that the Sloan Fellowship Program does partner with certain institutions, including Cornell. So applying for the fellowship was actually very simple. Uh, it was sort of wrapped up in applying for graduate school. I just had to submit one additional essay. So I didn't have to sort of be faced with how challenging, you know, applying for this kind of funding uh, would be because it was actually made really convenient through the, through the partnership with Cornell. So with this funding, what are you currently researching in the lab? Right. So um, like I said, I work in the Alani lab here at Cornell, and we are, we are a DNA repair lab uh, doing most of our work in yeast. So I specifically focus my research on meiosis and meiotic recombination, Um, and it's a really cool uh, sort of field that I'm in where I look at how DNA repair factors actually are repurposed uh, to perform novel functions during meiotic recombination. What are the broad impacts of this research? Well, we do pretty basic research, but DNA repair in general as a field has uh, really broad implications for uh, human health studies, specifically cancer studies, Um, and so it's really exciting to be involved kind of at the ground level of giving a really foundational knowledge of how these mechanisms work. What are your career goals? Right, so I'm still trying to research what potential career goals might be. I really do love the idea of pursuing academia for the rest of my life. I really enjoy mentoring. I've enjoyed a lot of the mentoring positions that I've been in as a graduate student and as an undergrad. Uh, so I really love the idea of, you know, perhaps having my own lab, being a PI at a smaller institution where I could focus on helping undergrads really discover a passion for research. I know I've been given a lot of opportunities throughout my academic career, and I'm really grateful for them. So it would be really uh, fantastic to be able to do that for other people. Well, it sounds like you're on your way.
0: Thank you. I hope so. I'm Esther Rakusin for Locally Sourced Science. When many people hear about 4-H clubs, they think about youth raising farm animals and showcasing them at fairs. Actually, 4-H clubs provide the opportunity for youth to learn about, prepare, and present all kinds of scientific exhibits and present them to the public. The Cornell Cooperative Extension of Tompkins County supports 4-H clubs, and the 4-H fair started Monday, July 20th and runs to Friday, July 24th. But this year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the fair is very different. There are virtual events and events that will take place at 4-H Acres. To learn more about the 2020 4-H Fair, I spoke with Brenda Carpenter. She is the Volunteer Coordinator at the Cornell Cooperative Extension Tompkins County 4-H and Association Administrator of the 4-H Club. I started out by asking Brenda how this year's fair is different from all the previous ones. She began by talking about how this year, 4-H had to restrict attendance to only participants and their families and the evaluators.
4: That was a pretty hard decision for us to come to, um, but we've been working since March 24th on a plan that can comply with All of the CDC regulations and the health department regulations and all of the mandates that are coming from the governor's office and what we realized pretty early on was that we had to manage the density of the crowd of people that would be there and uh, there would be just no way that we could uh, invite the public to come in this year one of the big changes that we had to make in our plan this year uh, was to move our evaluations which traditionally would be held inside our main exhibit building Um, we have moved all of our uh, exhibit evaluations to our pole barn where it's an open atmosphere it is an outdoor environment Um, some of the other precautions along with that that we've had to place, we would normally have two exhibitors and two evaluators at a table. And this year, we have one evaluator and one member sitting at opposite ends of the table so that they are six feet apart, Um, keeping in mind that social distancing, which we're still all very much aware of.
0: I then asked Brenda about the 4-H participants, how old are they and what parts of the county do they come from?
4: The uh, 4-H members that will be participating in uh, the youth fair this year uh, will be 4-H club members. Um, they range in age from five years old all the way up to 18. Yep, these the young people, they do, they come from all corners of the county. So we have about... 18 active 4-H clubs and they're, they're all, all over the county. We have a good number of youth from the city of Ithaca, for example, that uh, belong to 4-H clubs. Um, many of our clubs meet right at the Cooperative Extension Education Center in Ithaca, so it's within that community. Some of our clubs will meet out in like a rural area. Uh, they might meet at a, a fire hall or a, a youth center or someplace in a a, uh, rural community, but all corners of the county, we have youth from across the board.
0: I wondered how the youth were able to keep participating with 4-H after schools closed and after-school programs shut down their in-person meetings.
4: How have we kept the youth involved? It has been extremely difficult. Uh, 4-H is one of the pillars of our program, is the, the positive youth development piece about making and building developmental relationships with youth. And it's very hard to do that through a Zoom meeting or through a Zoom class. Um, Many of our clubs, in fact most of our clubs, um, very early on started connecting with their members through Zoom. They were not able to meet in person until I would say maybe early June is when uh, we got direction from our state 4-H office that we could begin to gather groups, small groups of children together for uh, 4-H club meetings. So anything that has been done since uh, March 13th has been done virtually. As much as that has been a steep learning curve for me, the the youth have handled it extremely well, have taught me many lessons on how to put together a good Zoom meeting and what we can make happen virtually, but they have also been extremely Um, taken the lead on making and planning how some of our events that at one point I thought we would just have to cancel they were like no no I think we could do this virtually things like our talent show they came up with the idea and the process of how to do a talent show virtually so it's it has certainly been challenging but when I look back and I think about you know the 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 different direction that we have had to take to increase our knowledge and our skill set, and especially those life skills of being resilient and critical thinking about overcoming problems and challenges and being persistent, um, they are invaluable and they're many.
0: Brenda Carpenter then talked about some of the different areas of science the 4-H youth have been studying and will be presenting at the fair.
4: I had the, the right leaders come together, and they really wanted to start a club that would focus on STEM activities, and I thought that was great. This is such a great need in our area, and kids love this topic. So they got together and they organized a STEM club and they thought that that would be their name. Well, at the first meeting, part of 4-H youth development is youth voice and that we really listen to what our young people are are saying and telling us. And they brainstormed a list of activities that they wanted to do set their goals for the year. One of the things that they decided on was that we are living in such a, a, Culturally rich and diverse community, with within the the theater arts and the arts area, they felt that it was necessary to add arts to the STEM program. So instead of a STEM club, they created a STEAM club, which is another catchphrase, very very popular and gaining enthusiasm. And they uh, their name the name of their club is the S Team, So it's still S-T-E-A-M, science, technology, uh, um, engineering, math, but they've added in the arts. That concept covers just about every single area that we program with in 4-H, whether it is um, computer science, mechanical science, engineering, but also things like culinary arts. There, you know, there's a great deal of science that goes into cooking and baking and food preparation, photography, clothing and textiles, and plant and animal science. So the 4-H Fair is the opportunity for these members to ex- to exhibit and to get feedback on these projects that they have been working on this year. Another area that I just want to touch on quickly is um, we have four different challenge contests at the fair. Uh, we do a dairy challenge contest, a livestock challenge, plant science, and a consumer and family science challenge contest. And each one of those areas I would say is, is where they really get into uh, questioning and, and quizzing the youth and the topics of science and the STEM field really do come into play.
0: One distinct feature of the 4-H Fair is that the students present their projects to evaluators rather than to judges. Here, Brenda explains the distinction.
4: Our evaluators are very carefully chosen volunteers from the community. Many of them are professionals in the area. For example, photography. We will bring in professional photographers. They have been trained. They have have, uh, been provided um, information on what we are looking for when we do evaluation. A couple things that are unique about our evaluation process is that we do conference evaluations, which means there is a conversation with the 4-H member on that project. So for the five or seven minutes that that uh, project is being evaluated and, and the volunteer is asking questions to directly to the 4 to respond to, that for that period of time, that member is the expert on that project because they did it. They know what they did, they know how they did it, and they know why they did it. So it's an a wonderful empowering opportunity for the youth to feel good about what they have done so it's really you know an awesome opportunity for these young people to talk with professionals in the field people who really can encourage and critique their work and uh, in, it, encourage them to maybe try new things or take something to a higher level or expand on skills that they are already showing
0: Brenda Carpenter closed out our conversation by emphasizing how incredible the Teen Fair board members were in being able to put this fair on during the pandemic.
4: You know, I just can't give the teen members of our Youth Fair Board enough praise for bravely working through these huge disappointments this year and and helping us to overcome so many challenges. We have 10 very dedicated teens that met, um, they met monthly, putting together a plan for fair. And I know at our March 24th meeting, the chair of our fair, who is a teen, she said, this is her one time to to be you know really shine as far as building those leadership skills for FAIR. And she said, I thought for sure that we were done meeting and FAIR was just gonna be another disappointment. And she said, I can't believe that we just, we continued to meet via Zoom and made all these plans. Um, The teens have just been remarkable and they really deserve a lot of credit for being creative, Thinking outside the box, turning sad faces and even tears into rays of hope and sunshine that we now see, and we have an event that they can all look forward to.
0: Carpenter wants our listeners to know that local youth can start signing up to join a 4-H club in October.
4: The website is Uh Call us at two seven two 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 nine two.
1: I'm Fred Balfour, and you've been listening to Locally Sourced Science. Esther Racuzin produced today's show and the interviews of Dr. Kelly Liu and Brenda Carpenter. Candace Limper conducted the interview with graduate student Lizette Pajero. Our theme music is from Joe Lewis, and other music is by Blue Dot Sessions and Ben Jordan. You can find all of our archive shows and subscribe to our podcast at Locally science.org. Tune in for our next show on Tuesday, August 4th. Science out!